The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. What's the key to being a great dad? Well, that's a tough one. Giving them the freedom to be whatever they want to be. Right, exactly. Whether that's and a painter, uh, a poet, a pilot, a president. And for us, of well, a we're going to... company or of a country. Patience. Well, be their buddy. That's your answer? And stay in school. No. And don't do drugs. No. Just give me the answer. Oh, God. Still thinking. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, June 27th, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Mary Lou Ambrosio. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, where, as always, 519-661-3600 is a number to reach us. Or you can email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today we've got some daddy issues for you to share with you. <laughs> so, Bob, what do you think makes issues? a great dad? <laughs> with, with the way our culture views dads today, maybe in order to be a great dad, you have to uh, be a mother. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Well, you know... Maybe there's some truth to that. Yeah. I mean, if you're a single parent, you certainly have to play both roles. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but what is the role? That's an interesting question. Well, it used to be much more clear, I think. Mm -hmm. Now it's very convoluted, but it was Father's Day a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, we're late. And here we are celebrating <laughs> Disrespectfully Day, two, late. Two weeks late, yeah, yeah which yeah. shows how high we prioritize yeah. our dads. <laughs> but today we want to talk about dads and give them a bit of a break from the battering they're routinely given in our culture. Today we're going to be talking about fathers in particular mm -hmm. and men in general and how they're viewed in today's culture. Well, I'm one uh, of each of those, so I... I, I I may there have you some expertise. You, you know, might know. have something to say about <laughs> it. Now, we're uh, uh, fortunate to be joined in studio today mm -hmm. by Ryan Dockstater. Uh, Ryan is a psychology student here at Western, and I met Ryan several years ago when I became involved as an advocate for shared parenting. And although Ryan's story sounds like a, a nightmare, it's sadly quite typical of what happens to men and fathers in family law court. Um, we'll, uh, we'll also talk about an international group um, that of leading women for shared parenting, mm -hmm. so men are going to be getting a fair bit of support from women. But first, um, perhaps we can bring Ryan into the conversation mm -hmm. because it's a problem he knows about both from the academic perspective, but also a problem he's experienced very personally, father alienated from his children. So Ryan, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thanks, Bob and Mary Lou. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now, when I first met you, I came to know you as someone who was caught up in this nightmare. Um, one of the things that struck me about you was how determined you were to be fair to women rather than responding in kind. I even got mad at you at, at times and thought, <laughs> no, yell at them, call them names, they deserve it. But no, you stuck to your position in the group and, and said you didn't see this as a gender issue, but, but that it was about we had to focus on the kids. So can you tell us a bit about your story and explain to me how you managed to keep your head through all of this or at least try to be fair? And I'll try to be short because it's a long story. Um, yeah, I, I did experience uh, domestic uh, abuse from uh, the children's mother, as did they, uh, as well as verbal abuse and a lot of emotional abuse, a lot more than hitting. 
And those kinds of problems uh, exasperated. She was on diagnosed with a lot of mental health issues, including bipolar and uh, not just postpartum depression, but also postpartum psychosis, dissociation, and a lot of other mental health issues. And that was, you know, uh, a lot of the things underlying why she was doing the, what she did. And there's a lot of history in her life that would um, uh, get her to that point. But when it came to um, trying to get away from that situation, uh, there was no support I found quickly. Um, so the this police is despite the fact that there were actual medical diagnoses. I don't know how to pluralize diagnoses. that. <laughs> yeah, thank you, diagnoses. So despite that. That's still a huge thorn in my side, and yes, that's uh, despite that. Yeah. Um, now, the police who responded, because she also tried to uh, turn it around and falsely accuse me, I was never arrested. She did this five times. So these are patterns of, of behaviors, the abuse, and, and blaming somebody else. And these point to mental health. And I, I never, ever wanted her arrested. I just wanted her to get better. And she was on medications, doing other drugs that I wasn't aware of at the time, drinking, stuff like that. And with the medications, you can't do that. So they mm -hmm. kind of exasperated the problem. And what happened was... When it came down to it, um, I was going to leave her and um, a number of the police officers who did get called and she wanted them to arrest me. But it would always be, no, I've never had uh, handcuffs put on me. They, they looked at the situation. I talked to them. They ended up asking me if I wanted to take me and the kids. They wanted to take me and the kids to a shelter. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of supports for that. There's only one, and it's Rothholm, and you need children um, for men. Well, so Rothholm... I was surprised that there was even a place yeah, they offered too. to take you. I'm me too. surprised by that. It was full. That's why we had to stay in the situation. And so many men have to do this uh, because of uh, the lack of support in the society. And, um, and I'm just going to talk about London for right now, but it can generalize probably to Canada and all, all over North America, Western uh, society. We'll probably do that later in the show. Right. <laughs> So like I said, I want to keep this as short as possible, but cut the story short. I was going to leave her, you know, filled up some paperwork for some housing, emergency housing, and uh, I wanted to do it after our Christmas in 2007. But in 2006, she caught wind of it because they uh, called my house to talk to me, and she got freaked out. She kidnapped the kids, and I'm left alone. And there's a support network for her. Um, they, all the police and everyone who did put out a missing pers persons, really assured me that she was safe. So there was a lot of places for her to go. There's like five or six shelters in London, I think. So there's that aspect. Also, family support wasn't there. They just uh, didn't uh, understand. You said she kidnapped the kids. That means they were legally in your custody? From my point of view, they're kidnapping. Yeah. Um, that's how my, my body responded. I didn't yeah. know where my kids were. But legally, no, she didn't kidnap. Uh. Um, so, and now how long has it been since you've seen them then? Um, at this point, um, we did have... Uh, I was... Um, we, we went through court. It didn't get to trial, which I thought it was going to, which is really uh, a horrible situation as to why that didn't happen. Um, but now we have a custody agreement that she's not adhering to, and I get the police involved, and nothing happens. So consequently, I haven't seen them for almost a year. So is there an actual court order that you're supposed to be able to see them? Uh, yes. There, yes, is. there and, is. and yeah. But the police won't enforce it. No, it's, it's not enforceable. And uh, I had... Uh, again, you know, uh, to bring up the court would be just a long story, but long story short, I asked for that to be put in there and it wasn't. And so when the time came and I have to go get the police when she's ignoring my phone calls or changing her phone numbers or if we go up right up to her door, she gets uh, the children to hide in the kitchen while me and the police oh are at the door. And what makes it unenforceable, as you say, just issues like that? Well, the, the physical situation or... What happens when you go to court and you get an agreement, it's important for you to put on there, especially if you're, you expect your partner to be uh, adversarial, yeah. difficult, mm -hmm. um, which, I, which is in my case is a huge problem, then you need to put in there that these visits will be police enforceable. That way the police can 
you know, charged oh, the person who's breaking the, the visits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, breaking the agreement. But if you don't put that in there, the police will look at this and say, "There's nothing I can do. I can ask her, and I, we can document it, and you can use it when you go to court." But in the moment, no, for the moment. How they won't easy do anything. though is it to get something like that put into an agreement, especially when you don't? I mean, I can imagine in some cases men don't know that it's going to be a problem. But even if they do, is it easy enough to get something like that put into the agreement? Um, it, it should be. But again, if you put that in the agreement and you're trying to make things amicable, yeah, um, yeah. that's a kind of a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you saying? Are you trying to be friendly, but now you want to get the police involved? Yeah. I said, well, that's a safeguard. And that's an important thing because, like I just said, I have a, a, an agreement. And it was, you know, in front of a judge. So theoretically, any normal person would think that that's okay. That's yeah, enough. That's the end of but it. But that's yeah. not the case. No. Wow. Yeah, and you're not alone in this, are you? I mean, you're one of many people. Um, you run into a lot of people in any. Are you are you going into any kind of group where other people are sharing the same kinds of problems, or is that just something that's not even available to you? Well, in the last year and a half, what I have been doing is going into the grassroots level, going to the uh, community meals, and even the men's mission, and talking to men. And getting their experiences. So it's not just in my books. It's not just reading theory. It's not right. just going on the internet and researching, which I did a lot of research even before I got to university about this pro- uh, su- uh, subject, um, domestic violence, that mm-hmm. is, and uh, custody issues, all these things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like I got to be an expert and I freak a lot of men out because I know exactly what they're going through even before they say it. Yeah. And they say, how do you know this? I say, well, because it's such a common story. It's not because I'm a psychic. It's because yes. I hear it over and over and over again. And it's hard for them to imagine that. I think for most people, it's something that they just have no idea is happening. They, they don't have an, any idea of that, I think, but they yeah. do have an idea of the, of the um, culture that we're in that causes it, I think. And um, I think that's part of where our conversation is going to start going from here. Uh, should we take our first break now and listen to what we've got here on sure. how, how fathers are generally viewed in yes. society? Because I think that speaks tomes in terms of um, even the male-female status, mm-hmm. comparatively speaking, in terms of how a lot of people look at it. And then we'll be hearing another uh, outtake on the other side of this uh, from the University of Toronto, which is where it was... Um, actually filmed by Dr. Janice Flamengo, who we'll talk about on the other side, okay? So we'll be back right after this. Father knows best? Well, if you've been watching any TV of late, you wouldn't think so. Our Father's Day cover story is reported by Russ Mitchell. Bill, come on in here and meet Lauren's new friends. She's still in the can? Because my cream's in there and I'm starting to itch. <laughs> Do you want me to go to college? College? <laughs> Barbara Clown. Bart! How would you feel if you suddenly found out you were adopted and that wasn't your real dad? Dad, don't say that. Unless you're absolutely positive it's true. Don't bother changing the channel. They're everywhere. I can't reach it. Dad, you have to come up another rung. My ears are popping. He's lazy. He's immature. He's stupid. He's a, a, a marginal at best father. You know, his daughter has no respect for him. Which is why not everybody hey, loves Raymond. Grandma's helping me with my homework. Oh. Want me to help? That's all right, dear. We're working on grammar right now. <laughs> Can I ask you something, Ray? His wife is the one who's smart and makes all the decisions and kind of uh, uh, leads him around. This is what we do. It's called being a parent. Well, maybe I don't want to be called that. <laughs> That's the modern dad. Do you think if uh, someone came here from, from another planet, 
and mm -hmm. watched American TV, they would think all dads were doofuses? Absolutely. It would be worse than doofuses. <laughs> they would think that maybe good child development was overcoming the stupidity of the dad. Let's see. List your three favorite books and how they've influenced your life. Is TV Guide a book? No. Son of Sniglet? No. Catherine Hepburn's Me? No. Oh, I suck. And according to Warren Farrell, author of Father and Child Reunion, this negative image of American dads is beginning to take its toll. There's a tremendous amount of uh, feeling of being like Willie Loman, or and as, as Rodney Dangerfield would say, you know, I, I don't get no respect. Which is why, on this Father's Day, some dads might agree when they hear... Is Father's Day like a big deal at your house? Uh, I mean, Father's Day is not a big deal anywhere. It's, the, it's one of the most underrated holidays That's, of I'm all with you. time. I, mean, I, I agree completely. Comedian Cedric the Entertainer isn't kidding. Hey, have you seen Dewey around? I promised him he could firebomb the Utah. He's doing schoolwork. It was so sweet. He told me this afternoon he's writing a 300-word report about how I'm his hero. Being a dad can be a thankless job. If you don't agree, consider this. More long-distance calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. The single biggest day for collect calls? You got it. Father's Day. <laughs> it tells you a great deal about dad's wallet. And we do things for mom, but when we do things for dad, we ask dad to still pay for it. Dads are the most underappreciated resource in the family. interviewed in the Metro argued that I was wrong to blame feminists for men's anger or to encourage men to blame feminists because feminists, she said, are actually on the side of men, concerned about men's issues. According to this woman, the patriarchy hurts men too because it, quote, confines them to narrow gender roles causing the very problems the, the men's issues groups are trying to address. And according to her, the men's issues groups are addressing these problems incorrectly. Feminists have the answer. And so I really thought about that. Are feminists concerned about the disadvantages of men in our society, the harms that they experience? Well, what about the harm of a criminal justice system in which police officers now, almost without exception, will charge a man with assault if his intimate partner claims that he has assaulted her, even with no evidence for the charge? The other way around, police are extremely reluctant to charge a woman if a man alleges assault from his intimate partner. That seems to me a pretty obvious injustice. What about the harms of a family law system that overwhelmingly awards custody to the mother and denies the father's rights and claims to be involved in his children's lives? What about the harms, and this is the one that I know the most about, that I have personal experience with and that has infuriated me consistently, what about the harms of an affirmative action hiring system widely practiced 
in government and academia in which men are systematically disadvantaged, passed over time and time again in hiring competitions in favor of women, often less qualified women, all in the name, of course, of gender equality. What about the harm of a society that institutionalizes the concern about violence against women, sometimes often explicitly labeled male violence against women, but doesn't talk about violence against men? Are these the harms that are caused by the patriarchal system? Or, or, or are they the result of a biased feminist worldview which has significantly permeated the media, the justice system, academia, and the family law system. So I wonder, are feminists concerned about these harms? Are they lobbying against them in our society? Are they speaking out on these issues with anger? Are they teaching about them in their gender studies classes? When they are, and I do not think they are, then I will agree that feminists and feminism aren't the problem. Yeah, precisely. Now, that was uh, Dr. Janice Fiamengo. She's a professor up at Ottawa University. She recently spoke. That was her speaking at the University of Toronto on uh, uh, her yeah, speech. another university, yeah. Yeah, it was entitled, uh, What's Wrong with Women's Studies? As you can imagine, it wasn't super well received by a segment of the university population. I believe they were pulling fire alarms, but she did manage to get through the speech, oh, and it's quite me. excellent. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they did. It, it was an excellent speech. Um, no. Just you know, yeah. we're in studio with uh, Ryan Dockstetter, and Ryan, you said something in the first part of the show. There, you said um, something to the effect of, "You you just wanted to see your ex get better. You didn't want to see all this you know, going through the police and arrest process." Is there another process available that would handle situations like this that you're even aware of? Or is this what we're always reduced to when we have domestic disputes? Is it always become a police matter, or is there a more, I don't know, conciliatory? way of going about it? Do these things exist that, that you know Not of? Not that I know of. Um, there's so many uh, side issues uh, to that problem. And, you know, the, the men still get arrested even though they get abused. You know, For we're going to get into that a little later, as, as, as you know. I'm just wondering about that because I think there is obviously an imbalance generally considered in the power physical between a man and a woman. So a lot of those prejudices come out of that, I think. Well, interestingly uh, enough, and I think what amazes yeah. me, because I've seen it, there's still this chivalry or this chivalrous attitude towards women remains. Oh, yes. Um, so you get this sense that nobody wants to believe. And there's also the, the situation, Ryan, that we've spoken about where when you are an abused man, you don't want to talk about it. So... I was going to ask him about that. Yeah. You know, you're, you've gone a little bit public with this. You're not, you know, hiding in the closet, keeping all this to yourself. You're actually speaking out about it. Are you doing this beyond what you're doing coming into this show? Is this something that has become a bit of a cause for you? To be honest, I'd rather be doing something else. But well, yes, understood. I, I want to, uh, <laughs> I want to uh, encourage other men to speak out because that, you know, as, uh, as Janice said, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, other forces out there. She brings up feminism that uh, um, squashes our point of view and our voices and don't like to hear it when we uh, speak out. I've gotten a lot of flack for saying that, you know, my uh, ex has abused me. And it just, it, it rubs them the wrong way. And I think it's because uh, prejudice is a, is a uh, attitude. But before you get there, you have a belief system. And, and that's, um, uh, the belief system is, uh, I think, purported by uh, the cultural norm of male vilification. 
Now that's on top of an age-old uh, idea that men don't have feelings. Uh, forget about you know voicing them and forget about ever complaining them because you know it's just it's the buck up. We don't Man like up. to do it, yeah. and other people don't like to hear it. So that needs to change, and it it, it should also be pointed out that when women were being abused, it took quite a long time uh, in the in the mid '60s when when these research came out and said, hey, we have to do something about this, and it, sh- it should stop. We should stop silencing the women and uh, encouraging them to talk. They weren't voicing their uh, um, domestic violence either. We're in the same position. We're 40 years behind. We're in the position they were in the, in the 60s, and now they, they can voice their uh, opinion, and, and it's more acceptable to hear that and no, uh, because they were shut out too, but everybody was shut out. The only problem is that since the 60s, they're the only voices that are worth hearing in this context, in the domestic violence context. And that's very important because men do not have a voice in this context. In other contexts, yes. Yes. Yeah. But in this context, it's almost like we're silenced and under a... And, and you know, it doesn't matter who you are, because i got to tell you, as you told told your story about y- you going to the door with the police and trying to find your kids and all that stuff, you know what that reminded me of exactly? What? When I investigated what actually happened to Rob Ford, about the dispute be- be- between his wife that we keep reading about in the paper, that she right. charged him on all this. <laughs> so I went back, I read... The, uh, it was actually in the Toronto Star. They covered it all very meticulously. Same thing. They went to the door. Uh, it was Rob Ford that called the police on his wife. The police told him, take the kids. Right. Just like, you're, I mean, you're, 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 it's, a, it's a relived story. Take the kids, get out of the house, which is what he did. He left the house. The next morning, the next morning he came back, and that was when his wife called the police, was when he came back with the kids. Wow. Right? Because he needed to change his clothes yes. so he could go to work. And that was when it all started. And, of course... The courts said, they dismissed it, of course, all they said was, well, there were inconsistencies in her story, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was a complete fabrication. That's how inconsistent it was. Right. And uh, yet the poor guy is never living that well, down. That's never going to go away. No, it won't. And isn't it interesting yeah. that there are no consequences to her, but still some that's, for him, even though he didn't actually do anything. There's well, so many examples in our society, and every day in the paper you can see something like that. Um, yeah. How uh, Again, it's not a legal consequence. It's the way the media and people talk about it. It's the, it's yeah. the that, you know, that, I don't know, there's that left-wing thing there. I just can't see it any other way. Well, yeah, and there's, the, I mean, well, there is a legal aspect to it, though, of course, which is that, uh, I believe it's called duty to report, which mm. was the zero-tolerance effort by the uh, Ontario government, the PCs, incidentally. <laughs> yeah. um, so basically, if there is a call about a domestic uh, incident, it doesn't matter what the situation is. When the police arrive, they arrest the man. Right. So now, Ryan, I think in your case, I uh, got really lucky. You got five four. times false false accusation. I was almost arrested once. If it wasn't for because she uh, pushed me and my daughter, and then turned around and, and my, I had witnesses, and she had I don't know what kind of was going through her head, but she said, "I'm going to call the police on you and say that you abused me," and she did that within three seconds there was six cruisers in a paddy wagon there and I was almost arrested he said that my story wasn't adding up I said well if it wasn't for uh, the hot chocolate on my daughter's you know there was evidence basically and it was hot chocolate because when she pushed my daughter it spilled on her jacket and in a spot that was close to our car which indicated we were going away from her and she attacked us so there was no reporting on that I went back and and I was going to go to court with it but um, they didn't charge her they yeah. just told us to go on our way, and, I, and they said if I wanted to find anything about the call, to go and do an FOI over at the police station yeah. about the call. And there was nothing when I got there on Monday after. So I don't know what went on there. No, she had mental health issues to begin with. Mm-hmm. Is she even a chargeable person in that sense? Or, or, or what is that how we treat 
people with mental health issues. I don't see. Women. I don't or, see. You know. Well, again, yeah, I see, I'm sorry, I see the yeah. distinction you're making. Absolutely. If that were a man with mental health issues, let's put it that way. The approach would he that still I would be take, treated differently. Honestly, um, yeah. And my most worst times when I think about what she did to me and my kids, and my emotions are overriding my reason. Yeah, I want her arrested. Yeah. But when my reason is front and center. No, of course not. That's silly because I don't know of any police uh, incarceration that will fix a mental health problem. It just exasperates it. Right. So, um, but ideally, you'd like to see her be put in a situation where she must seek help. Yes. But this never happens. That's another one of the ish problems Understood. with this issue is that you basically, I heard Barbara Kay say it once, and, and uh, it really struck me. She said, basically, what you're dealing with in these situations oftentimes is women with personality disorders who are being supported and encouraged by the legal system and the politicians. So it's quite outrageous when you think about it. Well, if we want to get an example of just how men are viewed in society, we're going to hear that in this next upcoming um, scene that was actually done by Clothesline Media. And it was entitled, it's on uh, YouTube, you can get it, Reaction to Women Abusing Men in Public. And what they did was they set up a couple of actors, a male and a female actor, and they were in a park and people were walking by their park bench as the woman was relentlessly beating on the man and swearing at him and stuff like that. And the reactions were quite amazing. We're going to listen into that now and then we're going to broaden our conversation in the second half of the show when we return after this. We've seen what people do when a woman is abused by a man. Sit there. Sit there. You look like a psychotic person. But we wondered, what would happen if we reversed the sexes? What if the victim were a man and the abuser a woman? You want to start with me? This time, she plays the aggressor, verbally and physically abusing her boyfriend. How's that? How's that? Women abusing, even assaulting their male partners. Not as isolated as you might think. I hate you! From Moonstruck to Shakespeare in Love to Pirates of the Caribbean, women hitting men may be a Hollywood staple, but it's not just in the movies. Major League pitcher Chuck Finley's wife, actress Tawny Catan, was arrested and briefly jailed after he accused her of pummeling him. She denied it and charges were dropped, but only after she agreed to attend anger management classes. Again, psychology professor Carrie Keating. It is a big problem in this country. Men create more damage, but women hit more than men do. Every year, there are more than 800,000 serious cases of women abusing men. Again, nothing, 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 nothing. But confronted with this, what will people do when hidden cameras are rolling and our actress is out of control? No. One after another, people pass by and keep right on going. What will this woman do? At first, she seems to ignore the fight but pauses a few paces down the path to watch. She tells us she didn't think this woman could pose any real physical threat. It didn't look like any harm was being done. I, I didn't immediately think to protect the man at all. <laughs> but now we're about to meet a woman whose reaction is instant, visceral. Watch closely. No, get up. No. Watch it calm down. What went through her mind? Good for her. 
You go, girl. <laughs> Linda McCluthy just assumed he had it coming to him. But why? Maybe she caught him cheating or something like that, really bad, and then made her lose it. <laughs> We've seen it before, back when we taped our first experiment with that abusive boyfriend. We told our actors to trade places for just one take. Tell me right now, why? Why? And later brought bystanders together to talk about what they'd seen. My first thought was that he must have cheated on her. But you don't know that. You don't, but... You look guilty. Exactly. And now, over and over again, when the victim is a man, so many women perceive him as guilty. I figure, well, he probably deserved it. Linda seems to think our feisty actress is a kind of role model. I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm pretty nice all the time. I should, I should have done what she did sometimes. But what about this guy? You know what, just, just, Nate, come on! Whose side is he on? You haven't said a freaking word to me about it. We watch and record for hours and hours as 163 people just walk or jog right by. Look at how many people went by without defending that guy. And this is kind of classic because female aggression is usually seen as not very important, not very deadly, nothing really to react to. But just maybe things are about to change. Watch these women as they gather at a safe distance and map out a strategy. Now, one of them approaches. Everyone wants to call the cops on you guys. Excuse me? Everyone wants to call the cops. <laughs> You're not going to say anything? It's actually like none of your business, so can you excuse me? Oh, sorry. Well, if you need help, we'll help. But when she retreats, they go at it again. Look at me. Nate, stop ignoring me! What the? You're not even... What? Nate, hello! Hello! And that's all it takes. This woman calls 911. That was your birthday. There's two people fighting on a bench. She's, like, beating them up. I was wondering if somebody could come just check it out. But what would a cop do when a woman is abusing a man? Self-centered... Hi, guys. Why not call 911? Uh, what they would have it, they would just have an old tiff. It'd be all right. I'd find it upsetting. I would find it more upsetting if he were putting his hands on her. If you're wondering why they didn't call 911, well, he's a cop. If it had been the man. Oh, without a doubt. You would have stepped in. Yeah. yeah. It's an old-fashioned views. It's a double standard. It is. What can I tell you? I mean, you know, if you're raised the way I was raised, you don't put your hands on it. Right? So what should you do if you watch, see something like that? Every individual has to do their own calculus when it comes to whether or not they should step in and help. For these women, the calculus was simple. The physical abuse, the verbal abuse, you know, you shouldn't be hitting one another. I was concerned for both their safety. And these women tell us the fact that the abuser is a woman makes no difference. That is not an answer! What matters is that someone needed help. There's also a risk to not helping. And when we fail to help in a situation, it doesn't make us feel very good about ourselves. I'd rather do the right thing than walk away and go home and regret it.
ordinary dinner party, the sort of occasion we all enjoy. The men are exchanging witty stories. And look at the women, aren't they pretty? Look at the way they laugh, they're delightful. But now the conversation turns to more serious matters. I wonder if the government should return to the gold standard. I think it should. Good, then we're all agreed. But oh dear, what's this? One of the women is about to embarrass us all. I think the government should stay off the gold standard so that the pound can reach a level that will keep our exports competitive. The lady has foolishly attempted to join the conversation with a wild and dangerous opinion of her own. What half-baked drivel. See how the men look at her with utter contempt. Yeah, they we're going home. <gasps> Women, know your limits. Look at the effect of education on a man and a woman's mind. Education passes into the mind of a man. See how the information is evenly and tidily stored. Now see the same thing on a woman. At first we see a similar result. But now look, still at a reasonably low level of education, her brain suddenly overloads. She cannot take in complicated information. She becomes frantically and absurdly deranged. Look at these venomous halidons. They went to university. Hard to believe they're all under 25. Yes, over-education leads to ugliness, premature aging, and beard growth. <laughs> now let's see the proper way. Good. So we're all agreed. We should return to the gold standard. Oh, I don't know anything about the gold standard, I'm afraid, but I do love little kittens. They're so soft and furry. What a delightful thought, you dear, sweet, fragile little thing. <laughs> Women, know your limits. In thought, be plain and simple, and let your natural sweetness shine through. Oh, yes, the good old days, eh? <laughs> That's pretty funny stuff. We're in studio with Ryan Dockstadter, and as I understand, we have a, another guest joining us on the line. You heard her in the second quarter of the hour, and now she joins us live from the University of Ottawa, Professor Janice Fiamengo. Hello, uh, Professor Fiamengo. Are you there? I am. Thank you very much for, well, uh, for having me on this program. Well, welcome to London. I take Thank it things have, things have changed a bit for women since we since yeah. that clip was shot. I think. <laughs> I mean that's very funny. It's it's lovely and and uh, and uh, I had a good chuckle when listening to it the second time. And, and the point is, of course, that that was once true in the Victorian period. If you do research there, um, you see that uh, there were ideas that education was dangerous for women. That uh, so much of women's energy went into. Um, you know, uh, being ready to bear children, the menstrual cycle, all of that, you know, and uh, the, if the blood was going to their brain, yeah. <laughs> uh, it would really mess them up and they would uh, have all sorts of mental emotional problems. And so, so yes, that, that was once the case, but it certainly hasn't been the case that people have believed that or acted upon such beliefs for the last 50 years. And yet we continue on often, I think, as if that is still a widely held cultural belief and, is, and that's is, where we get ourselves into problems yeah janice is mary lou observation um is that what they mean when they talk about the patriarchy the feminists is i i i think so uh, i mean of course that the, the, the definition of the patriarchy changes depending on uh you know which particular 
um, branch of, of feminist ideology um, one is addressing, but uh, certainly the idea is that our society is still a society in which men's um, uh, power and men's perspectives are, are privileged and entrenched at the expense of women, and that that is enforced through violence, uh, through threats of violence, and through various other forms of social control, like media, like jokes, you know, like, yes. uh, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. And that simply isn't the case if one looks around and compares how we live now to how we lived a hundred years ago, uh, and, and to keep on claiming that it is, is simply foolishness. And yet I think feminists have to keep on claiming that, because obviously uh, there are all sorts of social and, and economic uh, benefits to, to claiming it. Certainly in, in academia, what I'm familiar with, it is necessary to continue to claim that there is an enemy and that women are marginalized and oppressed and, and kept down in various ways. And, uh, and, and you know, that involves then uh, outright fudging of, of statistics and exaggerating of examples and uh, cherry-picking of, uh, you know, the kinds of narratives that are reported in women's studies courses and, and all of these kinds of problems. Yeah, well, in, interestingly, too, Ryan, uh, as a student here at Western currently, we've talked about this um, the almost uh, self-censorship that he does to himself in not raising certain issues. Ryan, did you mm -hmm. want to mention that about... I've been in class and we've talked about some gender issues where I <clears throat> wanted to speak up and uh, no, I thought it would be better to, to not bring that attention to myself. Um, yeah. And, and that's a normal thing. I, I even did research and uh, other men and women who have done um, reasonable research about uh, the true... Uh, picture of domestic violence that there's a lot more parity i'm sorry there's a lot more symmetry between the men and, and women who's hitting each other and who's not mm -hmm. so um looking at all of that uh i noticed that some of the researchers were omitting a lot of the uh or half the statistics in other words they would keep they would publish um even though they would collect data that would uh, say that there's a symmetry they would only publish uh, violence against women so that mm -hmm. kind of created a huge imbalance uh, going forward from the 60s and I guess that's your yeah. experience too, Janice, in academia. Yeah, yeah, it's a real problem. Um, I, I only just discovered this really um, around the time that I was preparing that talk that I gave at the University of Toronto, and someone alerted me actually to the fact that there is an organization in Ottawa, um, a, an organization dedicated to stopping violence against women that had published a report on statistics about violence against women, and consistently there had been an error in the way that Statistics Canada data had been uh, was being represented. In, in, if you look at the Statistics Canada data, it showed that, yes, exactly as what uh, Ryan has said, the numbers of women who experience violence in intimate partner relationships and the number of men who experience violence is actually very, very close. And yet the person who had reported on those statistics had counted the total number of men and women experiencing violence as if it was only women. And she had done that not only for the national statistics, but for every province as well. And that um, uh, report, that error, was up on this organization's website wow. for a year and a half. And it was only taken down when I wrote to the head of the, this task force and said, why is Incredible. this up there when it is 
clearly an error. And, of course, she wrote back and said, oh, it's an error and it was difficult to remove and, you know, we've now removed it and all of this. But, I, I mean, I, and I wondered, was it an error? Of course, one doesn't know and one can't make judgments yes. for what is in people's hearts or anything like that. But even if it was a purely innocent error, it told me something about the way that researcher was thinking because in her mind, clearly, men can't be harmed in intimate partner relationships. Only women can be victims. And that's precisely the ideology of women's studies, that only women can be victims, that men's suffering either doesn't exist or if it does exist, it's of no consequence. It's, you know, something to be laughed at or derided. That kind of... uh bias from the beginning. Shouldn't that discount it as a serious academic... academic uh, a good example inquiry. is Murray Strauss yeah. um, and Gellis and Suzanne Steinmetz, who started the longitudinal studies uh, about domestic violence, which brought it to the forefront. And even um, Strauss, who started in 1965 and followed the data set for 40 years after that, or at least 30, um, he said that the trends that he noticed, he didn't notice until 1975, 10 years after he did it, that there needed to be a focus not just on women gay abuse, but men too. And when he brought that out, he was excommunicated from the feminist society, and he was really hurt by that. Suzanne Steinmetz went on to uh, continue her work as well, as did Strauss, but they have been threatened with bombs, with uh, violence by feminists. So, uh, I'm, you know, there's some reality to, uh, uh, and who is, is committing this, and why. I think the narrative is is taking precedence over um, the, the statistics. I, you know, I, I wonder, in, in the midst of all this, because um, Professor Fiamengo, you mentioned how a lot of social and economic benefits are at the heart of this. Are we really seeing a gender war, or are we seeing an economic war fought under the guise of gender? A good question. Well, I think what we're we're <laughs> that's a very interesting question. I think we are seeing uh, a, a gender war. Um, and, and a famous men's rights activist has said that, that uh, you know, in the late 1960s, uh, feminists declared a gender war and, and, and men didn't show up to fight it. And, uh, and, and now we're seeing the results. And, and it's being fought on all of these various levels and certainly on, on the economic one. And, that, uh, and unfortunately, it has uh, consequences, as you're discussed for for fathers, very serious consequences, and, and most seriously, perhaps, for, for children. And, um, uh, and we're seeing, especially with the rise of parent families, that most of them being headed up by women, and there are sorts of reasons for that, but we're seeing um, boys and young men uh, falling behind in all sorts of indicators. There was just a, a massive study uh, done uh, at MIT by two economists, and these are not in any way anti-feminist ideologues or anything like that. And they're, they're seeing young men falling behind in every major economic indicator in terms of skills acquisition, in terms of uh, real wages, in terms of job status, in terms of employment numbers. I certainly see it at university, and you can see this I'm all sure. across university uh, you know, in, in North America, that the number of men completing undergraduate degrees is dropping precipitously, and this should be, I would think this would be front page news. This is. It's, every it's day. tragic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has, it has devastating impacts, not only for the you know, next generations, because yeah. it means that men are dropping out society. You know, that yeah. 30-year-old guy who's still living in his parents' basement, because he just exactly. doesn't feel 
you know, that there's any point in doing anything, making any effort, making a relationship or getting a good job or right. anything, because he feels that he's ephemeral and, and superfluous. I mean, this impacts on women, too, and, and on children, oh, 100%. especially. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's interesting. And we're, yeah, we're supposed to still believe that, that it's women that are powerless. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Voltaire described the ultimate test of power when he said, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you're not allowed to criticize. As you found <laughs> out when you gave that speech and had the fire alarm pulled on you several times. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was only pulled once, actually. Yeah. And, oh. and uh, in other ways, I mean, my reception. I didn't see the protest out the front, so I don't really know what that was like. I, I went in the back way. I guess the protest was fairly vociferous. But, yeah. um, I mean, it, it so was you my missed statement. It. Was, <laughs> yeah, I missed it. Yeah. I mean, my statement was fine in, in the sense that, you know, when if a controversial speaker comes to a campus, people should come out. And, you know, and I would have oh, done sure. that when I was a student, and I would do it now if someone came. And, you know, that's fine for people to be angry but but what we're seeing so often on academic campuses is controversial speakers actually being shut down being denied the right to speak and uh, you know and, and tactics like the fire alarm being pulled of course tactics being used to actually mm -hmm. silence people who want to uh, raise disturbing issues and and that's the real uh, concern and but yeah. you're right exactly we now when you look at the kinds of narratives that have cultural hegemony, as the theorists would say, you know, in our society, um, that that's what tells you where the real power lies. And mm -hmm. it does lie with women claiming their innocent victimization as the, um, you know, the trump card that enables them to silence any attempts to criticize their position. Right. Well, speaking of controversial speakers, we're going to hear another one right now for the next three or four minutes, and then we'll continue our conversation. And, and Mary Lou, you want to say something about this? Melanie Phillips being interviewed by Michael Corrin? Yeah, Anything uh, in particular we need to know in advance or not? No, not, not really. really. Other, but it speaks for itself, but uh, I think this is... Uh, this is from June 17th of this year. Yeah. And uh, Michael Corrin was interviewing Melanie Phillips by, uh, what do you call it, you know, satellite, I guess, because mm -hmm. she's, she's over in Britain talking about her uh, experience there as a journalist. Yes. And uh, so we'll return in about four minutes or so and continue the conversation on the other side. Well, you know, it's a very strange thing. My last uh, printed book uh, was called The World Turned Upside Down because that's precisely what I feel has happened. I seem to have spent my career in the last two decades or so stating the blindingly obvious yeah. and finding, you know, world war breaking out around me. And I am, you know, very moderate and centrist, um, balanced and fair. I always try to be fair. I'm an old-fashioned journalist who believes, has always believed, in finding the evidence looking at the facts, looking at the evidence, and then drawing a conclusion. And the problem is that the world that we're in now in the West has the opposite point of view. Yep. It starts with the conclusion and it wrenches the evidence to fit over a wide variety of subjects and for a variety of reasons. And so there are subjects which are kind of untouchable. Yes, I mean, the freedom of speech issue you're talking about is uh, very largely a product of the white liberal establishment. And it really must be emphasized that there are a lot of Muslims in Britain who really just want to live in peace and harmony oh. and enjoy Western human rights. And they themselves are being sold down the river and betrayed by this liberal establishment for whom 
a whole set of issues are completely unsayable. I mean, let's park Islam for a moment. My journey over the, over the last two decades was punctuated by saying the unsayable, first of all on education, daring to say that something was going very badly wrong with what's going on in our schools, mm -hmm. that children were no longer being taught anything, that they were being given a kind of propaganda instead, that they were being allowed to sort of find their own way through the world, i.e. not learn anything. That was my first heresy. Yeah. Couldn't say that. It was all supposedly the fault of the then conservative government. Then I went into family breakdown and I observed that family breakdown was a disadvantage, a tragedy for people when it happened, uh, something best avoided if possible, but no family breakdown was not to be considered to be in any sense a disadvantage. On the contrary, it was every woman's God-given right to bear a child without a father on board. I was pointing out the, the overwhelming evidence that, relatively speaking, that caused children to suffer a wide variety of disadvantage. I couldn't point out that evidence. Mm -hmm. I was vilified as an Old Testament fundamentalist. <laughs> On I ploughed into multiculturalism, into man-made global warming theory, then into Islamization and all kinds of other, of other issues where, as you say, only one story could be told. And it's a story which upholds the view of the left. It never used to be the view of the left. In the 19th century, when the left famously owed more to Methodism than to Marx, the left was really a moral project. It was mm. rooted in biblical morality. It believed in the difference between right and wrong. It believed in discriminating between good behavior and bad behavior, between yep. behavior that would advance society and make people progress and behavior that would hold people back and cause harm. That to me is a, a truly progressive point of view. But the left then changed and became enthralled to what I would call uh, a kind of uh, cultural creeping Marxism, which basically said that everything the West did was wrong and everything the third world did was right, that you could not say that any society or culture should take precedence over any other, which meant inescapably you could not uphold liberal ideas of equality and mm -hmm. human rights and freedom of speech and all the rest of it over societies and cultures which did not uphold those things. You couldn't do it. And consequently, it seemed to me that this uh, prevalent left-wing thinking, which became the default position of the British uh, establishment, its ruling class, its media, its yep. cultural class, its intelligentsia, its universities, uh, it meant that that establishment was basically saying, because we will not discriminate, because all discrimination is wrong and racist and oppressive and all the rest of it, it meant that the people ruling Britain would no longer uphold core British and Western okay. values of equality, of liberty, of decency. Incredible. You know, and as Melanie's comments seem to demonstrate, some people don't really want solutions. And that begins, what, with uh, not having conversations. Uh, one of the reasons uh, Janice is also on the show is uh, she's part of a group that I'm also part of called Leading Women for Shared Parenting. Um, and essentially what we are is several women, uh, with whether academics, journalists, etc., uh, lawyers, <clears throat> who want to fight for equal shared parenting. Uh, now, Ryan, I know for you this was sort of a welcome thing 
huge. It's uh, I've lost a lot of hope. I guess you could say it went virtually down to zero. Hearing this international group, by the way, it's international, which mm -hmm. is the flavor of mine that I like, and that was really inspiring. That's why I'm on this radio show today. Is because um, uh, I guess you could say there's a new spark, and it, it, it's always helps. Because when I talk about this, there's a lot of uh, um, argument deflators when I talk about it. You know, they'll say, "Oh, you're just." mad because she took off with the kids you're or you're a misogynist yes. i've been called that so many times yeah. you know yeah. so yeah it helps with uh, they can't really argue that to a woman i think i think that just it, it falls flat is that part of the reason you became involved janice was because you felt that uh, you know being a woman you could probably help a little bit yeah well um I mean, often I've felt that I'm I'm getting involved in things uh, that that are really way over my head because I am an English scholar and <laughs> you know, give you a John Donne poem and I can <laughs> I can parse it for you and explain it. But all of these other matters are in some ways beyond me. But no, I, I and many people have said to me that to to be able to critique feminist assumptions from uh, uh, you know as a woman. Especially as someone, because I was a feminist, I read all of mm -hmm. the Catherine McKinnon and, and Andrea Dworkin and Robin Morgan and Jermaine Greer and all of that, and Robin Morgan who said that man-hating was uh, an awful position and, you know, all those kinds of things. And I believed all that. It actually, sure. I mean, it is, it's a dangerous ideology in that it requires absolute assent and it mobilizes the kind of emotional agents that, uh, you know, religions and, and deep political faith do mobilize. And uh, so I was there. So and, and now to be able to speak from the other side of it, uh, it I, does have a certain, certain power. Of course, uh, you know, feminists can still say that I'm wrong now or I've been brainwashed in the other way or, or whatever, or that, I have, that there are gains to me in some way. Of course, there are none. There are no career gains whatsoever. Of course not. If anything, it's the opposite, isn't it? Oh, yes, of course, it is the opposite. One one puts oneself outside, very clearly outside of the circle right. of approved opinion. But, but yes, on the issue of, of shared parenting, I mean, it seems to me such a common sense position. Yeah, and, 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 and it's about, oh, sorry. No, I, I was just going to say... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say the polling reflects that, too, that most people agree with us. Uh, mm -hmm. it, yeah, yeah. It's not a radical position, no. it, it, and it's about reorienting the discussion. It's not about men versus women, mothers versus fathers. It's about what's in the best interest of children. Right. And everybody. Well, that that was the question I was going to bring up because I could just hear Dr. Laura Schlesinger screaming yeah. <laughs> in the back of my head. What about the kids? Yeah. <laughs> is this all about exactly. the parents or is it about the kids? That was that's a good yeah. way to to sort of close the show off because we're running out of time here. Is is that the priority in all this? consideration? Absolutely. It has to be the priority, and I think it is uh, amongst leading women for shared parenting that uh, that what we want to, to be concerned about is the next generation, and, and studies have shown over and over again that children do better when both parents are in their lives, barring a case where one parent is abusive or whatever, of course, but, but uh, and so this is, this, uh, this is a single-issue advocacy group to just keep on changing this conversation and reorienting it towards what's best for the child. And so I can certainly support that wholeheartedly. Right. I would take it even a bit further and say, yeah, it is mostly about the children, but it's uh, if I try to keep the focus on the family. That doesn't exclude anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think right. that's a more honest way of approaching the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, a lot of things, especially with the parental alienation, that's a form of abuse. That's um, in-home mm -hmm. aggression. You know, we always sure. think it's violence, but there's 
so um, you know uh, verbal abuse and um, all kinds of other abuse, uh, abuse that does not leave a, m- a physical mark and those are typically done by women and these studies do support that as well so that um, all those types of abuse I mean when somebody says a man is violent really and, and then just leaves it that, that they're really shorthanding this, this situation and oversimplifying drastically and these, these do have uh, implications because if we, they're overlooked by researchers they're certainly going to be overlooked by policymakers and service providers Absolutely. and the police uh, officers and in court sure. so when it comes to the real life situation these theoretical approaches by the feminists do uh, when they shorthand um, men's voices they do have an impact in where it matters Matters. And exa- again, when, it, when somebody's uh, slapped with cuffs behind the back, that is humiliating, especially when they didn't yeah. do anything. And so is parental alienation. That rips the heart out of um, mostly men, but there are women too. So yeah, sure. I'm, I'm really encouraged by this international movement. Well, we're, one, we're once again at that situation where we're out of time, and certainly we can't delve into this issue even to, to give it the, 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 you know, the importance it needs. We could spend every show on this subject. Oh, easily. So, um, Professor Fiamengo, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Janice. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Ryan, for joining us. And we've got to go for another week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, you know what to do. Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be So I know women don't have it easy in America, but it is sort of politically incorrect just to be male in this country now. I mean, look at television, look at any sitcom. The wife is always brilliant and ethereal and right about everything, and the husband is always a dumb lucky to have found her. (laughs) The only smart men on television are Frazier and his brother, both of whom are gayer than Little Richard's underpants. So...